1972, George Carlin released his Grammy-winning comedy album, FM and AM. Divided into one part straight-laced, suit-wearing, family-friendly jokes and another more blue side, the record announced Carlin's transition to a long-haired, foul-mouthed voice of the counterculture. Yeah, he was the voice of the narrator on Thomas the Tank Engine, but for the most part, Carlin remained the grumpy, wisecracking stand-up for his whole career. His last album, It's Bad For Ya, is him still swearing, working, and getting laughs. Our lawyers told us we couldn't indulge in Carlin's real drugs of choice, so grab some Miller High Life and let's pretend we're in a smoke-filled room in 1972. It's time for episode 9 of Toasting the Classics, the stand-up comedy of George Carlin. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of Toasting the Classic. If it sounds funny, it's because things are funny. Uh, we are making this episode via Zoom. Um, Slightly late. We're celebrating the one-year anniversary of COVID by doing a <laughs> right. Zoom podcast episode. Right. We're pretending we're locked inside our houses again. Uh, we've done nothing but Uber Eats for the past week. We skewed all, uh, all contact with our families, which has been a good thing. No, I'm just checking. Um, all that I said was BS. Um, no, I've had a ton of contact with my family. I have no lack of contact with my family. <laughs> Especially the kids. Whatsoever. Ordered um, uh, 30, 30 tacos from Taco Bell a couple of days ago. Oh, I've been Lord. subsisting off that. Yeah, we got Uber I, Eats, 30 tacos. been subsisting on that for like three days. That's actually I mean, true. I, I got to admit, I, I, I would hate to smell the inside of your house right now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Especially your son's speak, Speaking of the inside of my house, we, uh, we have, uh, if you hear any drilling... It's because we're having a bathroom remodeled. And that's um, right. They actually blew up the bathroom with 30 tacos and they have to have it remodeled. So, right, right. It was that bad. That's what's going on. Uh, no, we, uh, it's, it's my fault. Uh, this is grading season uh, at, at, the, at the U. So, uh, I've got to get final grades in. And uh, I just really didn't have the time to kind of set up in our studio and everything. So, uh, Dave is being very generous and very, very generous. Very generous. Um, and uh, we'll demand payback eventually. So what are we do? What are we doing today? So today we are doing. This is my pick. This is my freeform pick, and uh, we are doing George Carlin's 1972 Grammy Award-winning album called FM and AM. It was his second stand-up album, and uh, it represents kind of a book. And we also we're also going to talk about his last stand-up album, which is called It's Bad for Ya. Ya, uh, bad for right. you, and uh, he released that in 2008, or he recorded it in 2008. Died about a few months after after recording it. It's it's not often that you can do stand up albums separated by 40 years, right? Not many right. people have that kind of longevity in terms of stand up. There's people who were stand ups 40 years right. ago. They're working, you know, they're actors now or whatever. But there's not a lot of people that stayed in the stand-up game all that long that's that's, that's right. impressive to me and, so uh, we talked and, we talked about this a little bit when we did blazing saddles uh -huh. so my question is when something is this old can it be funny what happens to something after 40 or 50 years like how often are you gonna laugh you know is it is it and and it and i, I feel like you know it hits you a little flatly i i feel you know when it's this old mm -hmm. but i'm wondering is it like because we know it so well because it gets built into sort of the DNA of comedy today. And so we don't, we don't really laugh at it anymore. Or is it just, or is it just, we don't have the cultural context or do people get funnier over time? Are comedians today just so much funnier. Like I, like I have a feeling in sports, 
the guys from 1972, if they played against the guys from today, would get destroyed. Oh, that's a in long, almost man, in almost any sport. You that's know? like a longstanding uh, argument, right? Like, right. who's better, LeBron James or Michael Jordan, right? And they play in separate leagues. They play in separate times, right? Uh, right. Muhammad Ali or whatever heavyweight today, you know? I mean, who? I'm who, who, I'm pretty Tyson, sure. Right? Uh-huh. I'm pretty sure the heavyweight champion from today, and I don't even know who that is anymore. It's not, uh, it's not as, not as uh, prominent in the cultural consciousness. I don't mm-hmm. think boxing. Right. Um, I'm pretty sure whoever the heavyweight champion today would flatten Muhammad Ali in the Probably first so. round. Yeah, for sure. Those guys are, those guys are way bigger. There's way more study of the sport. I just don't right. think it's, I mean, I, Muhammad, Muhammad Ali, did he even really weightlift? I'm sure he Nothing did. Like, well, nothing, nothing like the guys do today. Well, they, yeah, they don't have the training regimen they do today, right? I mean, they just right. don't have diet, diet, all that other stuff. Michael Jordan famously would go on these benders. I mean, he would go to Vegas after a game, drink all night, come back. He, I think he did that during the playoffs one year. If you, if you, uh, that during that Michael Jordan documentary, they showed that like he'd be smoking cigars and drinking all the time and gambling because they love to mm. gamble. And he'd come back yeah. and play. They would never let him do that today. Today, they'd probably go directly from the game to a hyperbolic chamber. You know, from there to uh, one of those uh, sensory deprivation, you know, water tanks, you know, to a sauna. And they have all this, you know, they'll have their food. all Hyper, right Hyperbolic there. chamber is that one where you're like, wow, it's really, really low pressure in here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> High pressure here. <laughs> yeah. it's um. So I'm thinking with George Carlin. Hyperbolic right? chamber. I did say hyperbolic, didn't I? You I did say hyperbolic. Like that, it's yeah. okay. I, I, <laughs> I did my job of taking the piss out of you. When you said no, I love thing. it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, George Carlin, so George Carlin, for instance, to me, comedies, it's not, it's not so much that the guys today are better. Uh-huh. Obviously, they're not, there's no new training regimen for making you a comic. Although I guess there's more media. So there's a separate argument. Put that aside. A lot of what's funny when you're listening to this album FM and AM, I'm talking about first. What's what's it actually called? It's called FA, FMAM or FM and AM? Anyway, FM I'm, I'm quoting. A lot of what's funny about it is that nobody had heard this kind of talk before. This was right. like the boomer generation mm-hmm. suddenly having a voice. You know, at the same time, I mean, he's a little older than your average boomer, but I think he's pretty appropriately a boomer, right? Does that sound about right? And no, I think, I think got, he's well. I think he's well before it. I think he's born in the 30s, which I think is the yeah. early end of the. He's boomers. born in 30, I mean, 37, I think. I think they call yeah, it, so he's yeah he's well he'd before be sort it. of an elder he'd be an elder statesman of the boomer yeah. generation anyway like sort right. of maybe even something before it the point is like this is a guy it's the first generation of people that sort of took in tv and radio their whole lives and and could just riff on it and that's what's going on a lot in what he's doing and uh and he's like using foul language which was had never been done before you know at least not that people were actually listening to clearly in the clubs in new york that's something. Did you know George Carlin was with Lenny Bruce when Lenny Bruce was arrested? Yeah, I did. Yeah. And went off in the car with him. I thought that was speaking yeah. of somebody that said a lot of bad words. And that was in the 50s. So that's right. probably about as early as it could be. He's probably he, still funny. Well, he was, you know, he was always, see, Carlin was, I didn't know a lot about him before we started this. I mean, I'm, I'm glad we did this because I got to learn a lot more about him. Uh-huh. I, knew, I knew him from Dogma, which is a great movie. Um, I knew him from, um, you know, a lot of his later stand-up specials, I think from the probably the late nineties and early two thousands. So it's not that I didn't know, I, I thought I knew what to expect. And then I listened to this one 
And there's a, there's a, a really obscure analogy here. And it, and it comes from, well, it comes from critical theory, but it's, it's, you are not a, okay. Have you ever, have you, you've been to the Grand Canyon, right? You, you guys went yes. there as a family. Okay. Yes. Many times. Yeah. Had you, had one, you, one of my, one of my favorite places on earth. Okay. Had you ever seen the Grand Canyon before you went to the Grand Canyon? Sure. In where, where did you see it? Oh, I, and lots of different. I mean, I think I had a Viewmaster. Right. the Grand Canyon in it when pictures, I was a little right? kid. Yeah, movies, pictures, yeah. TV shows, movies, stuff like that. The right. theory goes you could, you actually were not able to see the Grand Canyon when you went there to see it. What you're uh-huh. doing is you're seeing the, this kind of abstract thing called the Grand Canyon. So you're not actually seeing this canyon in the ground. You're, you're seeing sure. everybody else has talked about it. They, you know, they all said it. It's actually kind of like what I talked about uh, when, when we talked about tasting notes. And I said, if I say it tastes like vanilla, then you're going to say, oh, it tastes like vanilla, right? Like the suggestion. And so that's kind of what, what happened with this experience. I mean, I was, I was looking at, I was thinking of George Carlin circa 2000, right? Uh-huh. And I listened to it and it's completely different. Um, not at all what I expected. Right. Uh, I mean, he's doing weird disc jockey, funky noises and all kinds of crazy, a lot of straight lace stuff. I mean, half of it was supposed to be straight laced. Well, yeah, that's the that's and, the shtick of the album, right? Is yeah, that half yeah. is the straight laced, you know, right. guy on Johnny Carson, and the other half right. is the blue guy that works in the comedy club, right? Exactly. And so, I went into it thinking that. So it was hard for me really to judge this first album. That aside, if you look at what happened before this, I didn't realize that he was a completely straight laced comedian. Like you said, he he actually hosted the Tonight Show. He was a guest mm-hmm. host on the Tonight Show with short hair, no beard. Yep you know, suit and tie and everything and a very kind of one-liner or punchline type of... Yeah, when comic. when would that have been? Was that like in the Jack Park? Yeah, Jack that, was in, the, that or... was in the 60s. Yeah, definitely Correct. in the 60s and early 60s because I think he's been a, a comedian since the 50s, right? I mean, the guy was oh. born in 37. Sounded so like it. Sounded he, like he was, it. He was yeah. in his 20s when he kind of started. So, but this album supposedly represents his transition from that straight lace to what they labeled counterculture uh-huh. performer. Uh, for lack of a better term. So he became kind of this, you know, talk about drugs and birth control and all these kind of taboo topics that today we don't really give a crap about, but back then it was. Well, that's, that's kind of what I'm saying about the, uh, that's what I was saying about the, um, the cultural moment of the comedy is that a lot of what's funny about it is it's like, Oh my God, he's talking about birth control. Right. And now it's like George Carlin would probably go white in the face if he, if he heard like, you know, Amy Schumer talking, I mean, there's just, the, the, the way comedians talk today, especially if they're like on the edge of what's acceptable for stand-up comic is just, mm-hmm. is just off the charts. You know, this, the things right. that people will talk about. It's not even that nothing is off limits. It's that you try to find the thing that's going to upset people the most to, to, to tell a joke about it. So the, right. the, the boundary of acceptability has moved a great deal. And so this kind of hits as being, you know, you know, not that scandalous, obviously. Lame. You know? yeah. yeah. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah, yeah it was. It, I it was- it was a bit, you know, cringy. Some of that listening to that first one was a bit cringy at times. But there, so, what, what, what what got you? The radio, the DJ radio stuff was was ugh. goes on for a really long time. It goes on for a really long time. So yeah. he he actually was a DJ. I didn't realize this. So he was a DJ after after he was discharged from the Air Force. He was a, a DJ somewhere somewhere weird, wasn't it? Somewhere, somewhere way out somewhere in Texas. Um, oh, Fort Worth. Yeah, Fort Worth. That's what it yeah, was. Somewhere weird. Somewhere weird. Okay, that's. Well, I mean, as in not. Yeah, where one. I we have Carlin one listener in Fort Worth, by the way. We have one. Oh, okay. Right. So, we apologize to you, Bubba. Um, 
Maybe. George Carlin. George Carlin seems like a New York guy. Is a yeah. New York guy, yeah. but definitely seems like a New York guy. I was surprised right. that his first like media job was in Fort Worth, Texas. That's not. Yeah. It's hard to imagine George Carlin living in Fort Worth, Texas, especially <laughs> no, back, right. especially in the fifties. You know. Well, I mean, he was probably. I mean, he was trying to play the game, and the game was straight laced, right back in right. time. So he had a right. tie and everything else. Uh, and, and I would imagine it's probably easier to break into radio in Fort Worth than it is in Manhattan, which is where he lived. Of course. Because of course people there is, were, yeah. you know, were personalities. So, you know, he just, but he so what do you, up. What do you think about this idea? Do you think that the, the straight-laced comedy holds up better than the blue stuff? Because to me, I almost think it does. Like, I, I play Bill Cosby records. Mm-hmm. I mean, clearly problematic, should be canceled, has been canceled. But mm-hmm. the fact is the old, the old albums are funny. And I played them for my kids and they're laughing. They, they enjoyed the Bill Cosby material from the fifties, you know, because it's Noah. I think Noah was one of his bits. Oh, there's, right? a, there's just a whole bunch of stuff. There's the one about when he gets his, uh, he gets his um, appendix out and there's a bunch of old, a bunch of old stuff. And it's just yeah, making all kinds of noises. Yeah. I don't know why my computer thinks I want like a big noise to come out <laughs> of my computer every once in a while. I'm actually turning off the speaker on it. I'm not even using the computer. So why have it? But yeah, I, I found that that stuff held up pretty well. And actually, I grew up listening to George Carlin, the yeah. old albums, because my dad had a big collection of vinyl comedy albums. He had Newhart and George Carlin mm-hmm. and uh, the Smothers Brothers, Bill Cosby, like all that stuff. And I loved it when I was a kid. I used to listen to it all. For me, it held up. I thought it was funny. I remember listening to Bob Newhart talk about King Kong climbing the building. Yeah. I thought that was the funniest thing I'd ever heard. You know? Newhart, was, Newhart was funny. Newhart was legitimately funny, but you're right. I mean, the, the problem is that the definition of blue changes, you know? Yeah. Straight yeah. is kind of, of a con, it's kind of a constant because there's one liners and there's, and you, and you set them up and then you hit the punchline. And, and if mm-hmm. you do it right, they're funny. And comedians still do that. I mean, they're, they're not a lot, but there are still comedians that do punchline you know one-liner jokes and stuff like that one of my favorite comedians ever is steven wright who just sits there oh and, i used to love him he, yeah. he deadpans and drops stuff just left and right you know yeah, <laughs> it's just so absolutely funny. and he's not blue he's not blue at all and and uh well not every I once in a while is. every once in a while he'll drop an f-bomb or something but usually no you what's funny right. is that he's he's very um he's just really flat that yeah. that voice Deadpan. Ever, did you pick up on him being in Reservoir Dogs? No. Wait, who? Steve, uh, Steve, Steve Wright? Stephen Wright. Yeah, Stephen he was a Wright. DJ. Yeah, he was a DJ. He's the DJ yeah. on Super right. Sounds of the 70s. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And now so it's like all those, all those, and now another those hit from a band that came, you know, <laughs> Big Daddy <laughs> like, Don's truck, the Bohemoth. You know? Yeah, the Bohemoth, yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. I love that. He's, He's really, good on that. He, he was in he's the, really funny. I used to, I used, he was one of my favorite comedians back in the day because I think he was sort of almost like my favorite guys today are all the alt comedy guys. And I, Stephen Wright was sort of proto alt comedy before they used that term because he was very smart. He was a lot like Newhart, a lot like Newhart, just really sharp and, and like smart comedy, a lot of verbal comedy, which is my favorite thing. Right. Yeah. A lot of play you know, on I, words, a lot of play on words, which I, I really definitely, yeah. definitely. I mean, that's, I could listen to somebody make good play on words, jokes, just sit there and listen to it all day. And Carlin, wasn't doing a lot of that. He wasn't. This. No, he and, was. Doing, he was doing a lot of. And before, from what I from what I read about us, and I didn't go back and look at his early routines, but a lot of his he was he did like kind of physical comedy type of madcap comedy, like the uh, the the part of the DJ where he's he's doing like the morning circus type of DJ stuff, right? Um, 
you it's know, just kind of zany, a zany voices zany, and stuff right, like that. Yeah. And it just goes yeah, on right. for a long time. And like, you know, really it wasn't hitting with me. Right. The, the zany voices were not doing it for me. Right. Um, I remember the bit he did about, and, and this is one thing, I mean, this is at the top of my list here. I wrote, how are we supposed to talk about George Carlin without using bad words? Profanity. Because yeah. his, he's got the, the seven words you can't say on television. Right. And he's got the, the one bit about your dish. Mm-hmm. No, like you got to move your, you got to move your, your dish here and you got to move your dish there and there's all right. your dish, you know, and that's, that's yeah. funny. Right. That's a funny bit. I, I used to love that one. That's not on this record though. Right. He touches on it. He does talk about it. He does a bit that's about that, very similar to that. Maybe like what it comes from, um, but uh, it's not that bit. And it's not the baseball versus football bit, which I which always offended me, but yeah. it was a funny bit. It was a funny bit. You know, no, that is a funny bit. It's a funny bit, but as a baseball man, I, it used to rankle, but you know, you got to give people credit when, they, when they're funny. So <laughs> right. that doesn't really matter. Did you hear anything on this, especially the blue half of FMAM? Was there anything that, that you think would be canceled? No, not on the blue half. I mean, I mean, the blue half, it was blue, not just because of language, because he, he, did he drop any F-bombs? I, can't, I don't think he did. I think he, he, he had a discussion of, of I don't Trump, think so. Maybe, maybe, maybe. maybe. He, I, I'm not sure. But I think it was about, I think it was more topical. So it was about birth control. He was talking about drug use and drugs. So just because of the vintage of this, I had an ear out for it. And he does two times. He does that gay voice that comedians used to do. You remember he does, he does like the really effeminate, like lisping gay voice. Um, not even really talking about, not even no, I, really. I do remember talking what, about anything. What was the what was the context? I, that he did it? I can't remember. I can't remember what the context was, but I heard it and I was like, okay, that's something that sounds fifty years old. Yeah, you wouldn't do that today. That's that's wouldn't be funny today. And just you know. Yeah. And, and it reminded me, have you ever seen Freddie Prince? Freddie Prince. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So he was, he was huge, like around this time, right. like in yeah. the early seventies. And uh, I had never seen his stuff. I'd heard the, the show Chico and the man referred to. And I knew Freddie Prince jr. Obviously who was more of like our time. Right. But um, I, I put up a YouTube video of Freddie Prince and it is just half an hour of a guy making fun of like every different race, making fun of gay people, doing voices and accents for everybody. And you're just like, wow, like maybe because he's Latin, he could get away with it <laughs> even today, but uh-huh. probably not even that. Like yeah. it, it was really cringe inducing. It was like, I can't believe this used to be, people are just dying. They thought he was right. the funniest thing they'd ever seen, you know, but that, that was, you know, um, but I mean, Eddie Murphy raw, you know, he had a whole bit about police in San Francisco and he did the woo, 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 you know, riding on top of the car and, stuff like that um yeah a lot of those older comedians have been canceled though those guys that do all that some of those guys that do that stuff i don't i don't think um even like uh eddie murphy just dropped out i mean he just stopped doing it so right but like kevin hart's gotten in trouble for stuff like that dave chappelle's gotten in trouble for stuff like that i can't remember what it was he was talking about we we saw him and he was talking about trans people and making fun of them and that was yeah a problem I don't, know. Um, I, mean, I, I don't know. It's 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 interesting that you use it that way. That they say they've gotten in trouble with it. People have complained about it, but I don't think Dave Chappelle certainly doesn't give a crap what people think. Dave Chappelle does not and, care. And, Dave and Dave will, Chappelle has established will, his bona fides as being outside yeah. the system and not he will caring. Say, yes. He will say whatever he wants. Um, right. Kevin Hart is sort of the same way. I mean, Kevin Hart. The whole thing. A little Kevin bit. Hart, well, Kevin, Kevin Hart. That, Kevin Hart. All that was film That career. was stupid because he. He had come out and I mean, before like that whole tweet scandal, 
he came out afterwards and, and looked back and said, I can't believe I said that stuff. I'm embarrassed and I apologize for it. He said that in another tweet, but they, they essentially skipped right by his apology to nobody in particular. He recognized it himself and right. said, you know, I, I, I shouldn't have done that. I, I, you know, I apologize. They skip right by that and go right to the thing that he apologized for, which mm -hmm. you got to give him credit. He didn't delete it. You know, right. he knew it was out there. He took ownership of it well before they, they even brought it up. And what, they he, what he did, what was it? Some, some gay joke or something? Yeah, it was, it was, what, that's what exactly what it was. It was some stupid gay okay. joke that he made when he was young and dumb. And, and uh, you know, and, and of course they can't live by an apology that again, he was introspective enough to say, you know, to own up before anybody even said anything about it. He said, ah, oh, you know, I can't believe I, I used to tell these stupid jokes and I apologize and I'm so offended for, you know, for having told That's him. a thing. Uh, you know? That's a thing where, that's a thing where, and this is not an excuse for it, but that's the thing where the times have definitely changed. People thoughtlessly walked around being homophobic mm -hmm. all the time when we were growing up. It just wasn't a thing. It wasn't on the radar as something that should be avoided. And you, I'm sure if anybody had a recording of some of the things that we said when we were kids, we'd be, I'd be like, oh my God, like, what is, what was the matter with us? You know, no, because I never had yeah. any, I don't, you know, we didn't grow up like hating gay people or anything like that. I didn't feel that way at all, but you would use words right. that nobody would use today just thoughtlessly, just with no, with no well, thought that it was, well, we did that I remember, for, so we did, we I was did in, that for everything. We did that for well, everything. but especially especially mm -hmm. on this, nobody in my in my group of friends, nobody would have said anything racist. Like we all knew better than that. But I was in college one time, and I was hanging out with a friend who was gay. It was one of the first times I'd ever hang out, hung out really with somebody that was openly. I knew they were gay. Mm -hmm. and we were talking about something, and I was like, "Oh, that's so gay," you know. And and he like looked at me, and I'm like, "No, you know what I mean. Like it's really lame." And I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, okay, that's going to be know. out of my vocabulary now. Sure. I don't know why I just said that." Right. But it was just thoughtless. So I, did, I didn't even connect the two realities that that was referring to a kind of person. It was just a dumb word everybody said. There's that. But then, you know, it's like Kevin Hart. You're just like, yeah, I can't believe we used to say that. I'm not right. doing that anymore. But, you know, I mean, you couldn't you can't really cancel people for that because that's just people were thoughtless about that kind of thing. They did. I mean, that, that's the point is they did. You know, right. So I think George, George Carlin doing that voice seems a little more intentional. Right. It seems a little more like it's not like he's not thinking it's related to someone gay. But anyway, you know what it reminded me but, of? But you see, know that gay was part of the counterculture, though, especially in San Francisco in the 70s. It, you know, it's a weird, it's just a weird conversation. This whole thing. I mean, honestly, we used to make fun of Irish people. I mean, that, that part in Blazing Saddles. And he starts naming off the list of, you know, inappropriate uh, derogatory terms to say for different, you know, all these racist terms. We'll take these people, and these people, and these people. But we won't take the Irish, you know, like that. It's like, they're no, the worst but that's a joke. Of, that's a joke about old fashioned racism. That's like in uh, the that's my, that's version, my, the version of point. Ghostbusters, uh -huh. the version of Ghostbusters that's all female. Uh -huh. uh, it really wasn't a very funny movie, but there was one part at the beginning where they were talking about this old mansion and the guy was listing the features and he was like anti Irish fence. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, that's pretty funny. It's, but it's making fun of how ridiculous it was that once right. upon a time, that was what people were racist about, you know, which hopefully you'd think would point out the ridiculousness of people's current racism by being like, you're going to look this that's dumb. The point of saying, you know? That's yeah. the point of saying it. I mean, we, we, that's how stupid racism is. Right. Because we used to, you know, say no, no Irish allowed, no Italians allowed, whatever. You know, the whole thing is asinine. I was wondering about that, like if if he could get canceled. It's hard for us because, like you said, they've 
people like him have pushed the envelope so much that we're at a point now that, well, no, I was about to say that you have to say something really outlandish to be canceled, but you really don't. All you have to do is say something old fashioned, as you just put it, to be canceled. Yeah. Well, there's different ways. There's different ways to run afoul of it. I mean, Bill Maher, who, by the way, I mean, I'll talk about him later because the later incarnation of George Carlin is so much like Bill Maher. I kept thinking about him, but Bill Maher got canceled for saying, for saying bad things about the military after September 11th. No, he got, no, the thing well, that he got, got him, fired. He got the, fired from network. The thing, TV that, got him, the thing that got him fired is he, he said that if you want to talk about somebody with balls and courage, talk right. about the hijackers. They flew that plane into the, into the <laughs> building. They, they flew that plane right into the building and they didn't hesitate. That takes courage. That's exactly what he said. Yeah. And, you know, people didn't like that at the time because we were still patriotic and cared about our country. But from one perspective, he's got a point. What what he said was 100 percent true. You cannot you cannot you cannot fault terrorists for physical courage. Right. They are physically courageous. That's what he crazy people. That's what he said. But people didn't like it. And and (laughs) yeah, that's right. uh, It's funny. You could get canceled for that, for for saying something against the country. Mm-hmm. back then but but not for saying things again you know racist or homophobic things now you can say whatever you want about the country as long as it's bad but you can't say anything racist or homophobic so we've kind of come full circle since 2001 i guess yeah in any case yeah yeah i was listening to a podcast um i listened to this podcast about stephen king they do all of stephen king's books it's called just king things very very good podcast in general you guys are really you guys are really smart uh, and they're they're literature professionals and they just they, they say a lot but they had one episode recently where they were talking about his nonfiction book dance macabre and they were faulting him because they couldn't understand why he would be talking about being against the vietnam war mm-hmm. but then also talk about how bad communism is mm-hmm. and i'm like well they're saying that because that's true the vietnam yeah. war was bad so is communism but they found it offensive that he was speaking against communism and I was like, really? Like, he's talking about the Khmer Rouge. Do you not think that's real? What do you, yeah. I didn't really understand. That was annoying me. I don't know. I don't understand this perspective. I don't know what these people are talking about. So, but anyway. Yeah, that's a but weird one. I didn't cancel it. I kept listening to the podcast. It got back to the things I like about the podcast. Yeah. You know, it was fine. Yeah. But anyway, you know what? The So we were talking about, you know, the DJ bit, mm-hmm. right? The uh, DJ Wino or whatever DJ that he does. It goes just on and on and on. And you know yeah. what it reminded me of? When I was a kid, we used to listen to things and I would play them over and over again to memorize them. Uh-huh. Do you remember doing that? Did you yeah. ever do that when yeah, you were a kid? Absolutely. Yeah. Like, like McDonald's did this thing where they listed all of the things on their menu and the guy said it really fast. Mm-hmm. And we all liked it so much. They were selling records of it at McDonald's and you could listen to the record. And I remember trying to memorize <laughs> the whole menu of McDonald's. Well, let's see. And can, I think, can you, can you remember what, how to make a Big Mac. Was it the Big Mac that was two all-beef patties, special sauce? all-beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, lettuce, cheese, cheese, pickles, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. bun. Right, yeah. Yeah, see? So So I I got the, I I could imagine a kid sitting at home trying to memorize this DJ Wino thing. Right. You know, because then you could go on the bus and you could do it for your friends. You know, like people, yeah. people used to do stuff like that. I don't know if kids do that anymore. <laughs> Probably not. But Well, so that that's a good example of something that we've lost the context of because I was thinking about it like radio DJs aren't really a thing anymore. Um, mm. But back in, back in his day, you had a DJ for essentially every little small town in America had, had like kind of a personality DJ. Right. And they would have this kind of DJ banter. And that's what he 
he started out with and his original partner, um, Burns, I can't remember his first, uh, first name. He had a, he had a, like a comedy partner when he first started, that guy was a DJ as well in the, in the same, in right, the same yeah. um, uh, place. And then they took off to, to Hollywood to be, you know, form a team. Right. But, um, but that was like DJing like that was kind of a thing. So the other day I, uh, I had to rent a car. Uh-huh. Right. And it, and they didn't have a car. So they gave me this old van and it didn't have any way of like streaming my music. Mm-hmm. So I was like, man, all right, I guess I'm going to turn on the radio and see if there's still radio. Mm-hmm. And I was shocked to find there's still a radio station. There are apparently people driving around in 2021 listening to like the <laughs> FM radio. Right. I was kind of blown away and I was listening and there's, there's a DJ. The way it works now is it's just like, there are these big corporate holding companies for all the radio stations. And they just, most of it's just coming in from far away. Right. Uh, it's just yeah. like centralized. They have, they have a guy here, mm-hmm. but it's not like it used to be where, you know, the, the DJ in Cody, Wyoming would have been somebody nobody ever heard anywhere else. Yeah. It would have been only the people in Cody, Wyoming exactly. would know that yeah. station. Right. That's cool. I, I, I kind of, that, that's something I think we've lost. That kind of uh, individuality would have been really neat to listen to. Like I, I would have been interested yeah. in that. Yeah. So now, they probably would have only played country music in Cody, Wyoming, to be perfectly honest. But I mean, I remember driving across country when I was younger and just flipping through the stations and you'd be like, oh my God, there's a 500 mile stretch of the country where there's nothing but country radio. Like there's no like rock radio at all anywhere. That would have been AM. So you should have flipped to FM to hear the more, I guess, cutting. Oh no, we were always on FM. I never listened to AM radio. AM radio is kind of uh, as being a music platform is before my time. I don't think I ever listened to AM radio for music. It used to be AM, a big part of my life. The radio AM, was a big part of my life. AM was, was always uh, sports and news, like news shows, right. sports. Right. Well, let's uh, let's have a drink. So I, I'm I'm making Dave. Oh. I'm making what? Dave. You know, my thought my thought for this is that I feel like it should be drugs. Should be the drink for George Carlin. <laughs> Cocaine and have, wine. Cocaine and I wine were his no two idea. favorite things. I know. I have I, no idea what you. I listened to the whole thing. I was like, "What would I pick if this was my pick?" And I just, I have nothing. Nothing came to mind. I tried my best to find out what he really drank, and it just said wine. So he was, he went to rehab for alcohol and for drugs many, many times. I have a paper before. bag over here that is uh-huh. not shaped like a wine bottle, so no, I know that's not, not what you went bottle. with. So go ahead and okay. go ahead and take out your treat for the day. And uh, all right. Let everybody Oy. know what it is you have to drink. Well, it's a bottle. It's a beer bottle. It's a beer bottle. Um, oh my god. Yeah, good stuff. Do they still sell this? This isn't what it used to look like. Yeah, no, this, this is, is a. This is exactly what it used to look like. Maybe it went. You know what? But when I was uh, a light beer, this is Miller High Life, by the way, is what right. I've got in my hand. <laughs> which is, as we all know, the champagne of beers. The champagne of beers. Um, this is not what the bottles looked like when I was in college. They've gone back to an older bottle. I think yeah, it's yeah, a vintage yeah. kind of thing. They yeah. tried to do that. Is they, I could picture the bottle. It had more red in it. It almost looked like a Johnny Walker label a little bit. Like it, it was kind of gold and red. It is twist off, I believe, isn't it? It's it should off. be at this. Yeah, it sure is. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God, the smell brings back memories. Isn't that terrible? There was this girl I used to hang out with, and her, her, and she it's and her like roommates. This? She and her roommates had Miller High Life all the time. And I wouldn't say she necessarily smelled like this, but that smell brings me back. <laughs> that is that is American oh, as God. American beer gets, huh? They didn't improve it any or anything over oh. the years. Thin. Good Lord. Thin, I mean, we had this, this uh, thin renaissance, of, water. renaissance of micro brewing and beer culture in America yep. over the last 20 years. And this still tastes like this. this 
So the reason I bought, <laughs> the reason I bought, I mean, I mean, I'm sorry. What I meant to say yeah. was thank you for the free beer, Clint. Hey, anytime, man. I, I appreciate the appreciation. The reason I bought this, I wanted to find some. To me, George Carlin's always been this blue collar East Coast, you know, uh, New York, New Jersey kind of guy. Oh, kind we should have gone with PBR. Should have gone with like PBR then. No, 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 no. You know, PBR, actually, what I wanted was like a Schlitz. I wanted a Schlitz or a Ballantine or Schaefer's. I, I, I may have something in the pipeline for you. Oh, really? Well, I may. Yep. Schlitz supposedly is actually is supposed to be pretty good, but um, I actually would have even gone for Coors Banquet beer because that was kind of a counterculture thing in the seventies. I could is that the even... one? That, is that the one from Smokey and the Bandit? What were they? Yeah. What were they? Yeah, they're trying to, they're trying to get they're trying to get Coors across uh, the Mississippi, and yeah, uh, but I, I couldn't find a six pack of it anywhere. Uh, the smallest I could find was an eighteen pack. And I thought, well, I wouldn't. Mm. I didn't want to do that to you. Well, don't worry. I'm not going to drink this whole six pack. You know, it's funny. The the other thing I associate with drinking this beer is having beer in the afternoon. Like yeah, when I sure. when I was in college, yeah. I used to go over. I'd go to class. I'd go over to this girl's house. We'd all hang out on her porch and have some beers. And the sun was still out. And that's what this reminds me of. And here we are. We're recording a podcast in the afternoon. Not something we usually do. And I've got a Miller High Life in my hand. So it's. It's all bringing me back to, to circa 1999. <laughs> Very good. Well, this, I, I used to, uh, I have a connection with this as well. When I was uh, a really broke college student, um, I had no money at all. So I used to go sell plasma. You get oh, 25, good Lord. 25 bucks to sell plasma. Did you sell yeah. plasma at the plasma bank that used to be a pizza hut? That's it. Yeah, the pizza hut plasma <laughs> bank. And uh, I'd, be every, right every time. To, I'd be right next to some homeless guy. And uh, the two of us didn't have a lot to talk about. He would typically be shaking for some reason. But in any case, uh, I'd be sitting right next to some homeless guy and we'd be <laughs> pumping our arms and getting that, getting that beer money. And uh, I would get wow. 25 bucks. And for $5, I could go to six pack of Miller High Life and like a couple of cheap microwave burritos and then have a feast, man. Because I, I had, again, was broke as could be. But the best thing about it was if you are light on plasma, it doesn't take a lot to get you drunk and, um, <laughs> and or uh, buzzed at interesting. least. So you, interesting. Get the, you get the lightest, wispiest American, terrible, wussiest beer like Miller High Life. And even that will get you buzzed if you are low on plasma. So just so to, here's, to, here's uh, a question for my, yeah. here's, here's a question for my historian of spirits and beer. Yeah. Um, Americans were famous for having crappy watery beer. Do we have crappy watery beer because of the tradition of prohibition and like counties that allowed only low alcohol beers? Or is it because we have bad taste? That's a good question and a good observation. The first one, not the second one. Um, Well, actually, it could be both. Second one so, wasn't a good observation. You know what? All of my observations are good observations. Oh, are they? That one was that was that was on point. Pearls of wisdom. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. So what happened is is we supposedly we had really good you know regular beer. I mean, we had 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 lagers and ales and everything else in the European tradition up until you know 1918, 1919. Prohibition hit, and for 13 years, people had really been deprived of beer. They honestly didn't know what it tasted like when prohibition ended in 33. Mm. So we got, we got to drink beer again legally in April of 1933. And it was uh, the only, all that was legalized was uh, 3.2 alcohol beer. So yeah. super low ABV beer. So, so is that, is that where, are we reaping the whirlwind of that right now? Yeah, we really this, are. Uh, yeah. We, I mean, that, that's what you're, this is for, this is yeah. four point something. I'm too yeah. old to read these small, the small print. Now I, 
my my eyes finally started going for small print. I was very upset. It happened like three days ago. I woke up in the morning and I was yeah, looking well, at something and I, you that's know. That's karma. I think you were making fun of me for using reading glasses not too long ago. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm not yeah. going to use reading glasses. I'm just not going to be able to read. You're just going to squint at everything. Yeah. yeah. And guess yep. at it. Start, start yep. learning Braille. Um, yep. But yeah, yeah, that's what, uh, so this is this is the a result of that. Uh, in, in 1980, 1984, I guess it was 1984, like 90% of all brewing in America was controlled by four companies, Miller, Anheuser-Busch, Coors, and I, maybe Schlitz or Paps, or I don't know what the other one was. So what did you say? You said, you said Miller, Bush, Budweiser probably was the other one. Well, Anheuser-Busch was, was Budweiser. Oh, Anheuser-Busch uh, was Budweiser. Coors, so Miller, Coors, Anheuser-Busch. I can't remember what the third one was or the fourth one. I, I'm, I'm thinking it was Paps. It might have been Paps. Um, Schlitz had hmm. kind of imploded by in the mid seventies. So they weren't really around anymore, but yeah. So we just had that. We just had cheap, lousy beer until was it, I want to say Sierra Nevada was one of the first that came out. That was the first, that was the first quality beer that I had. So I remember I went to a party one time towards the end of college and somebody had a keg of Sierra Nevada. Actually, it was a party from some kids that worked in the city who were already working. And I remember thinking like, wow, like we're growing up, like we've got real beer at this party. Like I'm actually going to drink a beer and enjoy the beer. Like this is, we've, we've arrived. Yeah. That, know, cost money our time. That, was, that was quite a bit of money actually. Yeah. It was probably a $75 yeah. keg instead of a $50 one. Right? <laughs> I know. Right. But like you yeah. said, you have to give your plasma if you want $25 when you're 20 years old. Yeah. So. You know, that's, that's a lot of money. So this is your, your blue collar. This is what we would have, if we'd ordered a beer, at whatever nightclub he was in for our 1972 album, we would have ordered one of these or something okay. that tasted, something that tasted just like this. So, have you noticed? Have you noticed us hovering around the 70s quite a bit with the things we've picked? I was kind of surprised because he, okay. Gulag Archipelago was in the 70s, right? Patton is 1970. Well, Enter Gulag- the Dragon is 1974. Yeah. This is 1972. Right. And we're we're really. That's out of eight episodes. Out of nine right. episodes, more than half are from the seventies. I mean, Catcher in the Rye is older. I forget Wolfenstein. Okay, Wolfenstein's newer, so that's outside. That's eighty-one. Mac- not too much. Mac- Macbeth is four hundred years old, so that we're right. safe on that one. Um, okay, Marcus so, Aurelius. But, Marcus Aurelius. Marcus Aurelius is pretty old. Yeah. That's right. That's right. He's more like from the seventies. Like right. the no, no. I guess not. Seventies <laughs> was he? Sixties, yeah. I think. Wasn't he? Like 180, 180. Yeah. Uh, much later than that, but close. Anyway, I just thought it was kind of funny because I think I started off talking about the seventies at some point by saying it was a crappy decade, but like, here we are, like, we're just this ton of cultural wealth from that time. So we came out of that decade. So I did anyway. Yeah. Well, that, that hardly, that hardly argues in favor of the times producing a lot of (laughs) producing things like me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, what's funny is on this album, so I, I was looking at, at this album and I was like, huh, do I want to do this, this George Carlin? And then I, I looked at like, well, what came out in 73? And the Grammy winner for 73 was was Richard Pryor. I thought, oh. what about 74? I think 74 was Richard Pryor as well. And I and I would have done Richard Pryor. I like Richard Pryor. Go out, go out and like Wikipedia, the Grammy uh, comedy albums and just look at the uh-huh. We'll look at the title of Richard Pryor's albums, and it would have been difficult to even introduce. Oh, so are we talking? Is there an N bomb in there? Oh gosh, yes. Oh yes. Oh okay. Yeah. Yeah. No thanks. No thanks. (laughs) So so I thought well, but George Carlin I I thought would be would be fun just to see 
how much change there was and man, there was a lot of change. Well, let's, let's talk about that. So let's flash forward to 2008. Okay. 2008's album is last album. Uh, it's bad for you. What did you, what, what were your thoughts on that observation? What are my thoughts on the album on uh, it's bad for you? Well, yeah, first of all, yeah. I think comedy, not only is it something usually doesn't hold up over time, but I think mm-hmm. over the course of someone aging, they usually don't tend to be as funny. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, when you're getting to being in your seventies, it's going to be tough to be funny. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I thought he did a pretty good job though. I thought he held up pretty well. He's a very different perspective than he was when he was younger. Yeah. Um, and like I said, he sounded a lot like Bill Maher. He sounded kind of bitter, which was always there a little bit in George Carlin's uh, paradigm, but mm-hmm. more so more so as a more so as an older man there's a lot like i said a lot of the same stuff bill maher talks about he's like negative about marriage negative about children like negative about literally anything that could be associated with like bourgeois existence even the things that you're like well there do need to be families like we can't like not have children that's really not well he said extremely nihilist he said to have one one child Every couple he eventually said that because he yeah. does have one child yeah, but he did yeah. make a concession that perhaps people should have one child Just um, one. but otherwise he was pretty down on it he said women, um, women replace yourself and don't worry about the men don't worry about re- replacing <laughs> your husband right yeah, exactly your husband. i actually went off on a tangent myself on the albums on spotify the parental advisory sticker is really prominent is it and i was thinking like who designed that because it was an industry self-regulating thing, basically, because they were putting pressure on them, Tipper Gore and all these people yeah, were putting pressure Gore, on right. them. Uh-huh. So they decided to self-regulate, but they put those stickers on, and the sticker is so cool. Even today, I look at it, I'm like, that's a cool-looking sticker. They really nailed that. They're like, don't listen to this album like with a big, awesome-looking <laughs> yeah. sticker. Right, right. People made, people made yeah. T-shirts out of the sticker. It was so cool-looking. Right. And I tried to look up who designed the sticker, couldn't find it anywhere. Other people had Googled it. It was one of the first things that came up on Google, (laughs) but I got no answer. I was was thinking, why is that not a fact that I can look up? But I mean, it's a pretty cursory Google search, but you know, I didn't didn't really like go to the library or anything, but I'm sure, I'm sure it's out there somewhere that that's a good point though. It is a big honking inviting sticker to see, especially when you're a kid. Now I really need to listen to this, right? Like who would listen to two live crew? If it wasn't for that, two life crew sucks. They were terrible. They you know, were so not, bad. They, they were, were so bad. bad. They were really but at bad. The time, but, but at the time, we listened. I listened to the hell out of them. You know, uh, a buddy of mine would give me a ride to school. I didn't have a car. He was a year older than me, and he, uh, he had he had their album. I didn't have their album. My mom would never allow me to have that in her house. But he had the album, and uh, we listened to it every single day driving to school and back and uh all right it's terrible i mean when i when i listen to it now i'm like oh god that's just terrible see i actually never got my hands on two live crew or nwa when -hmm. i was a kid i was actually too young nobody had it and my parents obviously wouldn't buy it for me so i didn't get to start listening to like parental advisory sticker gangster rap until the mid 90s so i was in the dr dre and snoop dogg phase a couple years later it's a good phase it was very good. It's a very good phase. And NWA holds up. NWA is still really good. But, um, you know, that's neither here nor there about George Carlin. But anyway, that was my that was my swath of, uh, of culture was I didn't get to live crew. And yeah. so I only heard it years later when I could from a distance look and say, oh, this sucks. Yeah. This, is, this is not good. It does. But so. it's a lot like Lenny Bruce and George Carlin in that they were purposely defying what let's call it the man, Tipper Gore, white you know, suburban housewife, although yeah. she's a multimillionaire, 
Um, Clearly, yeah, something but, to be said for that. I mean, but, the, different, but, the difference is Lenny saying, Bruce was funny. Well, I mean, rap was not what rap is now in 1989, though. You know, I mean, rap sounded a lot different. So, Two Live Crew sounded fresh for the day. Now we listen to it and we're like, ugh, you know, that's terrible. Yeah. But, yeah. but that's what rap sounded like at the time. It was not. I know. It changed. Had, it changed know? a lot. And it's gotten better. It's gotten more creative, more artistic. But at the time, it was terrible. And they went out. I mean, you had you had a rap group called uh, the Fat Boys. Oh God, yeah, yeah. Fat Boys. I mean, so are you? Can you can you not hear this drilling and hammering? I can kind of hear it now. Yeah. Okay, yeah. it's right over my head right now. So yeah. if it's bothering people, sorry. That's the Taco anyway. Bell bathroom. I don't even know why they'd be drilling over my bathroom. Isn't over my head, so I don't know. <laughs> we don't like we live in New Mexico. We don't have two story well, probably, houses in New probably, Mexico. So. Yeah, it's probably echoing. You know. I think I think so, but it really sounds yeah. like it's right over my head right now. But anyway, seven thousand square foot manor—that's what happens when you have such a big place. Yeah, right. Sorry. Right. I was told we had a party the other day, and one of the ladies said, "Oh, this doesn't look like a doctor's house." And I was like, "Oh, that doesn't sound like something you should say." <laughs> like, <laughs> what is that even? I'm that like, I have great. kids. I have kids. No, it doesn't. It's not that. Not you know, kids. Kids are going to destroy oh, anybody's house. So. What does a doctor's house look like? I'm a doctor. I don't know. My wife. My wife. There you doctor. go. You guys are both doctor. doctors. Yeah, we have a doctor's house, and it's quite small. I'm the wrong. Well, that's person. how I like. Honestly, that's how I like it. I mean, I do live here. Yeah, it's not all about ostentation, right? So, so which, uh, uh, which which album did you like better? I like the second one. I like that the newer one. The one you that did I like was, the second one better. Yeah, okay. I mean that's that's the uh, George Carlin that I know and, and love, and you know he's a crotchety, grumpy guy, and and I think he he has he has a lot to. I, I wish he was around now to kind of deliver his sermons about what's going on all over the place, like cancel culture and everything else. Yeah. You don't want to lose a voice bigger. like that. Yeah. What's that? Yeah. It's not good to lose a voice like that. No, too, it, too young. Cause I think he was not. probably about 70 when he died. So he yeah. definitely could have had 70, a few yeah, more years. Like, I think he was 71 died of a heart attack. Yeah. And yep. you know, and he, that was probably he's, a self-inflicted like, wound. Yeah, right? well, I mean, I believe I believe there yeah. was some uh, I believe there I was know, this, some damage this, being done to his this, cardiovascular system. Does cocaine affect your heart? I don't think it does. Oh yeah, 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 it does. No, I thought it was good for the heart. It gets it pumping really fast. Oh yeah, it gets it pumping right. really fast. Yeah, yeah. Actually, what happens it's to being people, on a treadmill? Um, what happens to people is kidney failure when they do it when they have an overdose of cocaine. Really? I don't even know how that works or why that happens, but I've heard of that happening. Sure, you don't. Okay, I've heard. Had, um, I've heard. No, of that no, it's I like people. That. Yeah. People I personally okay, know who had who had trouble with that. It's not it's well, not it's not you. just something from TV. It, it is personal experience. Not, you can't not see me winking experience. at him. Right. I'm winking at him. Okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> he's just funny. I mean, he's just he's just funny. I, as far as would he be canceled today? So that album came out uh, 2008. Right. We were still kind of in the in the. PC. Kind of the infancy of kind of in the infancy yeah. of that like yeah well, yeah the politically correct is what 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 we called it back then so i think i think that the way the he, country i don't think he really cared but but here's the thing i mean he was he was compassionate to anybody living on the margins you know and he was a champion for them but he right. was very but he would still joke and he would tell jokes and he would in this album he picked on relig- anything religious you know if you had any kind of religion and and you could potentially be offended at this album. And I mean, any religion, because he just goes yeah. after it all. And um, yeah, well, he's that, that's, again, that's again, same thing, same thing as Bill Maher. Well, Bill Maher's gotten himself in trouble a couple of times because 
he's anti-religious, right? Mm -hmm. And he does not differentiate. He's anti-religious if you're Christian. He's also anti-religious if you're any religion, which includes Islam. Mm -hmm. So he's gotten in trouble a couple of times because people on the left, they're happy that you're making fun of Christians. But then if you extend that to Muslims, then all of a sudden you're racist. And therefore, they're not sure where to go with that. They don't know which of their... Did you ever Things see is more important? So there was a great episode of Politically Incorrect with Ben Affleck was on it. I think it's the one I'm talking about. Yeah, because I think because I think Bill, I think Ben Affleck was saying what I what I'm I'm putting liberals in the shoes of Ben Affleck, yeah. who was yeah, calling they, him that, racist. Yeah, yeah, because you know, for, they, had a, they had a professor on, and who had written a book about about um, like radical Muslimism. Is it radical Muslimism? Radical Muslim? Islam. Whatever. Islam. Radical, radical Islam. Islam. Muslim. Yeah. Muslim is a, is a person. Is a person. Islam is, is Islam right, is right. Okay, and right. then Islamic. Islamic is something that refers to the culture. Okay, so radical Islam. Muslim or Islam. Right? You just, so you a, I'm a, saying it's a radical Muslim. Right, 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 right. Adheres to radical Islam. Correct. Uh, he, anyway, he was having a discussion about that, and Affleck was just was going, you know, ballistic. Just stop talking. Just stop talking. We we can't talk about this. Just stop talking. And Mars right. like, what? What do you? What's your problem? He's like. Can't you see how racist this is? Mars like, yeah. what are you talking about? There are clearly people out there that, that fit this. No, there aren't. We can't talk about that. And he would just would not. Well, the reason for it, the reason breakdown. for it is, is that, uh, you know, the reason for it is that in Bill Maher's case, it's a blanket. He's against religion. Fine. Right. I get that. The reason that Ben Affleck is reacting that way is that a lot of people who talk about radical Islam and Islam in general are racist against Muslims. There's definitely a lot of people who, and it's, it's not even a race, right. but you know what I mean. Bigoted completely against, mm-hmm. yeah. bigoted against right. anybody from that religion. It's right. a completely foreign cultural context to them, right. which only exists in the context of terrorism. Because for a lot of Americans, especially in the in the middle part of the country, the first time they ever heard about Islam is when there was a terrorist attack. Right. Despite right. despite it being by some rights, either the first or second largest religion in the world. And then, you know, having been a huge part of world history, mm-hmm. they have no context for understanding it other than terrorism. Sure. Because it's, it wasn't very prominent in most of America until very recently, where there are a lot of people who are Muslims. That's what Ben well, Affleck's reacting to. I get it, but he's not listening. He's not listening to what Bill Maher said. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I, I do, I do appreciate the fact that Bill Maher and George Carlin, you know, they can talk about it all rationally. Like let's, let's be rational about all of it, which is kind of what you're saying. Like slams Christianity, slams Islam, slams Hinduism. Right. The problem oh, with being, the yeah. problem with being rational though, is that a lot of people bring to a conversation, mm-hmm. their emotions and their perspective on what you're talking about. And they're not really listening to your words. I run afoul of that constantly yeah because i love to talk about things that are you know i I enjoy talking about things that are maybe a little bit of a third rail sometimes Mm -hmm. you know i don't really have what i consider to be like obnoxious opinions necessarily on those issues but i like to talk about them and the fact is if you're making a subtle point about something like race or bigotry or i don't know a lot of different subjects you're people are just going to hear what they want to hear. Right. You know, they're going to look at your face. They're going to assume what kind of opinions you have, Sure. you know, and it's just, you're going to get lost. It, get, it gets uncomfortable and it gets dangerous sometimes, but I think, uh, I don't know, life is more interesting if you can just talk about things and try well, to understand and, and so forth. And I think, of course, I think he, you know, people might call him out on his earlier stuff and George Carlin would probably give him the finger <laughs> and just say, whatever, you know, I don't care. Yeah. So don't listen. Right. Yeah. So don't listen. You, you don't know? like it. Don't listen. Yeah. You I mean, know? I think that would be his attitude because because he's coming from a place where having long hair 
was a rebellion. Yeah. Right. Having know? a beard. Where pe- like, people beard. wanted him canceled because he had a beard and long yeah. hair. So he's right. he's used to it. He doesn't yeah. care. And he's and been through it before. I think one of the last things he said, a bit powerful if you think it's one of the last things he said publicly before he died, as is this kind of expression of his art form was when he's talking about rights. You don't have rights in this country. You have privileges. We have a bill of privileges. And you need to think of it that way because we're, you know, and coming off of what we just came off of, you know, the COVID lockdowns, it's it's a bit profound to think of it in that context. I mean, he was off almost, you know, off, you know in, in that, but wait, wait, wait. I may be, let me finish. He said, he said, look, we don't have rights in this country. We have privileges. He said, but I believe you either have no rights at all. So you just have privileges right. or you have all the right to everything. And it's, right. it's, a, it's a really, and that's where he kind of ended it. Right. And so it's a really weird binary to end on that you're either no rights. And it's just look, and, and what he said is he said, it's a matter of perspective. And he's absolutely right. It is completely about how you so, look at it. So I run into, I, like I said, I like alt comedians. So I like comedians that sometimes touch on intellectual issues. And the problem with this part is that he's, he's trying to be funny. He's trying to be entertaining. He's talking about rights. He's getting into a discussion of rights and I'm a lawyer and I'm hearing the things he's saying about rights. And I'm like, none of that is correct. The fact that your right can be abrogated in certain special circumstances does not mean you don't have a right. And also he's assuming a context where, and this is not my philosophy. I don't believe in natural rights, Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of people do. A lot of, a lot of people believe that there are inalienable natural rights that all human beings have. I think most people, if they were forced into it, would have to admit that that's a religious perspective. And though, and George Carlin is an atheist, pretty obviously, he's pretty, pretty committed to that position. That's his point. Um, that's exactly his point. He's saying there's no rights because he's an atheist. I think most people actually believe there are human rights that are inalienable, whether or not the government gives them to you or not. Mm-hmm. They're not really a political question. You have the right to life. You have the right not to be tortured. You have the right to a whole bunch of things. I think it's very difficult to justify those rights in a in a secular perspective. Well, not only that, but, he, he he's saying that you know your rights are based on context. I mean, in the U.S., sure you have a right not to be tortured, but what about in Burma or what about you know Myanmar rather? Well, he he about, makes a very about, specific point. He's yeah, talking he, about he says, he's talking about the Japanese internment camps, right? In in this thing that he's talking about, and he, yeah, he did talk about that in the U.S., but he he does say one thing. He he says, okay. If you've got the right to freedom of speech, do you have the right to freedom of speech in uh, Kuwait? No, you don't. No. no or, I mean, he didn't use Kuwait, but he uses an example of some other country where you don't have the, those rights. So if these are natural rights, why don't you have them there? Right. Because, and this is the distinction I'm making, uh-huh. because a lot of people today would believe that a person in Kuwait does have the right to free speech that is being that is being taken from them by their government being repressed. They have that right as a right of being a human being. And when Kuwait's taking that Kuwait says you don't have it, then they're having their rights taken away um, would be the perspective. Anyway, it's just a much more complicated discussion than what he's talking about. And he's just being flip. You know, like I said, he's a comedian. I run into this all the time. I'm like, (laughs) if I start hearing that kind of thing, I'm not laughing anymore because I'm processing it as an actual intellectual argument. And I'm like, there's a lot to talk about there. Well, it's a I, fascinating discussion. It's not that it, funny. I think it is you know? like, because I, I would I would venture to guess that like I don't know ninety eight percent of the people 
walking around anywhere in this country don't think about those things. Right. And I think I think he, at the very least, you know, he's using comedy to try to get people to think about these things. Like, look, think about this, you know. And if right. you come away and, and say, you know, he's he's completely wrong, at least you've thought about it a little bit more than than you probably did five minutes ago. And I mean, he you know, he's got he's got he's got a lot of great points in 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 that he becomes he becomes very political and socially and culturally. He is uh you know, observing and well, is a cultural commentator of sorts. Commentating, I mean, is I, it, yeah, is a voice. You know, a yeah. cultural voice. That's what I was saying. When when we lose someone like this, mm-hmm. you know, even if I don't agree with him, it's it's a loss because you want articulate, free thinking people out there. Um, I, I've been thinking about this recently. I think that a lot of, and this is just kind of a hypothesis I'm working on. Up until the '70s, right, we had a certain zeitgeist in the country. And it seems like we're kind of getting a lot of that zeitgeist back today. And I was thinking about it the other day. I was thinking it might be because of the AIDS epidemic. It Mm -hmm. might be because we lost the voices of a generation of gay men. Mm -hmm. And it just, it just skewed the country towards Ronald Reagan and Rambo for like 20 years. Mm -hmm. And now as that, as that swath of the population starts to replenish itself, we're getting a different voice because like we talked about before in blazing saddles, Gay people, especially traditionally, have like a big cultural voice, mm-hmm. very powerful cultural voice. And I think to some extent it was missing. Like we, we lost like a generation there from really 1979. And, yeah. You know, guys like Freddie Mercury didn't live to be right. in their 40s and 50s and, and commenting on things. Fantastic observation. I never really thought of that. That's a, that's a fantastic observation. I would say I think there is a bit of a cycle, though that that there's there are yeah that too there are cultural movements and then mm-hmm. you have reactions to those movements and so I think the '80s and Rambo and Ronald Reagan was a cultural reaction to the free love and then the disco and yeah. the rest of the '70s. So yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I think there's I, I think there's definitely a part of that too. And I think that and the '70s and '60s were a reaction to like Eisenhower and Nixon. You know, in this, right. this whole, you know, so I mean, but also, but also a reaction to Vietnam. Right. Vietnam went badly, and it created a crisis of faith for America. And I think that the combination of the two, the Iraq and Afghanistan deployments, whatever you want to call them, and the financial crisis of two thousand eight has created a crisis of faith that we're dealing with today. Yeah. yeah. Lesser of a lesser yeah. of a lesser degree. I don't think the country's been shaken to its foundation the way it was uh, then. And, and I, this is what I tell um, people about. Like, and we've talked about this before. Like. Like critical race theory, for example, you know, I, I am steeped in it because of where I work and people, I, I hear people, my mom's very traditional and, or very old school and she's, you know, conservative, all this little crap. And she's all clutching her pearls about it. And I, I keep telling her mom, it's just, it's just a phase, you know, it's a yeah. theory and it's a phase. And in my short time in academia, it's only been like 15 years, but I've seen like three or four movements like take right. hold and then and then they move on to the next thing. It's and just they, sort of the natural cycle. Yeah, of things this is just one of those things, and, and they'll move. But on also, to, they'll move on. But to also, with, else within the next few years. So just with it, with this critical race theory thing, mm-hmm. I'm only hearing that phrase and only hearing about that from people that I consider to be at least sort of on the right side of things. Okay. I'm not confront. I'm not encountering this phenomenon in my real life. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I don't know whether this is a real phenomenon. And this is part of what I'm getting to, like, I, you know, I live so far out here now, mm-hmm. you know, like we're out here in New Mexico, like I really feel kind of disconnected. I don't, I'm like reading about what's happening on the coasts now. 
mm-hmm. and I'm getting less, and I'm almost like people could tell me anything. And I, if I didn't know any better, I would just believe it. If they told me, you know, I read this article the other day that, that a conservative person I know posted that was saying that all the private schools in New York are filled with critical race theory and all the parents are too scared to talk about it. And I read it and I was like, oh man, that's like pretty upsetting. And I was like, well, wait a minute, is that even true? How, how, I don't have any context to judge whether this is really happening. Sure, now, I did see, <laughs> I, I went to sign up my daughter. I went to sign up my daughter for, um, for acting camp back East in Virginia uh, over the summer this year. And they asked what her pronouns were. And I was like, she's five. And that's the first time I've actually seen concrete evidence that like people are doing things differently, right? That, that there's things going on where I'm like, I'm really old. Like my first response is like, what in that, what are you even talking about? She's five years old. How are you, how is a kid who's five the only way a kid who's five is having a crisis about that kind of thing is because somebody filled their head with ideas okay. about having a crisis about that. At five, so, her, at, at five, her pronoun would be Shrek or Peter Pan or what, whatever character she wants. Or to be. what's a pronoun or what's yeah. a, what does the word pronoun mean? I don't even understand the concept well, of gender. Yeah, if, you you know, my, if, if you ask my five-year-old, if you ask Jaron, who you know, I mean, what he wanted to be called at five, he would have been called, he would have wanted to be called Lightning McQueen. Call me oh, Lightning, yeah. Lightning McQueen. Yeah. I went through a phase of so, signing all my papers in, in fourth grade as Optimus Prime. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Heavy. I don't know that my uh, I don't know that my consciousness was terribly. I was <laughs> I was I, I was identifying as a Cybertronian American at I the see. time. I think I think Carlin would have had a you know which is which is honestly I, I I am being flip and I don't mean to to make fun of all of that in general for adults. I think it's a serious issue. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about. The, the idea that children should be dealing with it, it's just kind of, it, it doesn't compute for me. I mean, I may just be an old guy and, and maybe things are just going to completely go that way, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. To me, that seemed a little ridiculous, to be honest. That is a bit young, but I, I, think, I think Carlin would be upset at any movement, regardless of what the movement was. I, I think he was an anti-establishment. So what's interesting you know what? oh, about it is, is critical race theory has become the establishment. Right. I mean, Black Lives right. Matter has become the establishment. It's very weird if you think about it. Right. When you have a company that's supported by Nike and all these other or not company. Yeah, that's tricky. Supported by all these multi-million dollar companies, billion dollar national corporations or funding right. money to them. You can't say that that's not now the establishment. Yeah, so, it's an interesting. Um, it's interesting because I think that um, there's not a lot of actual concrete political power there um i think that most people who espouse those movements would say that a lot of hard political power is still being held by people of a different perspective i.e people in the senate you know the military the president you know that that a lot of these that that a lot of these really important but i mean it's undeniable that places like amazon and nike have power yeah um even like the nba has power you know i mean so i don't know that's an interesting question who has the power in that situation? Because I have a feeling that people on the left would feel like that's not the case. They'd say, no, we're out of power. We're, we're the people's movement. Whereas well, I think a lot of other- Yeah, of course they would. That's what, that's but I think you've got that's both what they're, sides. Found, that's what they're founded on though. But they, you know- But it, I think both sides would say that. I think both yeah. sides of that debate would say, no, you're the one in power who's telling me what to do. Right. You know, that's and exactly it's, it's right. really, it's paradoxical. It's actually from the outside as a person who literally sits on the middle of the fence- Right. And like comments on both sides, it's very, it's very strange. I know for a fact those of us in the middle are not in power. Although the pres, although <laughs> you know, the president, I consider to be a middle of the road figure. 
I think I think President I think Joe Biden is a pretty middle of the road figure. I don't see him as being particularly leftist or particularly like, obviously he's not conservative. I mean he's a Democrat. He's definitely not conservative, but like he reminds me of the way Clintons used to be, which was like you know technically Democrats, but not exactly revolutionaries. I don't really see him doing anything oh. that particularly, uh, which is by the way a welcome change. I'm really glad not to hear anything about the president. I don't I don't see any tweets from him. I don't hear yeah. about anything he said or did. It's just Oh, there's a president. Uh, I can ignore that. I can ignore the fact that there's a president. And I'm, that feels good. That is a breath of fresh air for me. Yeah, I do enjoy that. Well, so I guess, uh, what's, your, uh, what's your biggest uh, surprise from, from this? Oh, uh, what is my biggest surprise? I hadn't really thought of it in that context. Uh, one of the things, so on the FMAM album mm-hmm. this is, mm-hmm. there's a bit where he starts talking about pharmaceutical companies. Mm-hmm. And like advertising of pharmaceuticals and stuff like that, and I'm like, is this from 1972? This is way ahead of the game. Na- naming naming to- birth control, naming birth control is that that the word? Yeah, yeah, I yeah, thought yeah, I, yeah. I thought the exact yeah. same thing. Oh wow, yeah, because yeah. because he's talking yeah. about he's talking about that stuff, and I don't remember what year it was, but I believe there was a Supreme Court case that allowed pharmaceuticals to start advertising on TV uh-huh. when I was in my 20s, early 20s, I think. Okay. And all of a sudden you're like Levitra and like, you know, Zunestra and like whatever, whatever the heck all this stuff is. And they're they're directly marketing to consumers, Yeah, which is like it on the one hand, as a person who's who believes in democratization, Mm -hmm. that's kind of interesting. You you market directly to the person who's going to consume the drug. Fair. A lot of people would feel like a a doctor who actually knows a damn thing about drugs should be an intermediary in that conversation. Right. I, you know, I can, I can kind of go either way on that, but it, but it became like a huge phenomenon in the 90s yeah, that right. like drugs were directly marketed to the people and they became like these big drug companies and stuff, these big pharma companies. Yeah. And he's talking about that 30 years before it's an issue. And not I thought only, that not, was really... Okay, not only that, but he was talking about specifically birth control being marketed to people, right? 1972, if a woman wanted birth control, she had to go to a doctor to ask permission to get birth control. And she in many to, cases had to lie about she, why. Right. She had to get a prescription for birth control. And then she would take the, the and he talks about this. This is exactly what he talks about. She would mm-hmm. take the permission note to the pharmacist and some old guy, right? Who's standing behind the counter. He's, he intimates that the guy is masturbating to this woman right. prescription yeah. for, 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 uh, for birth control and get it from some old guy smoking a cigarette. You know, and obviously it's completely asinine because he's saying she should have complete control over what she does. It's nobody's business. Right. And that was birth control. But now, I mean, he was way ahead of the curve because now control has become because it was so taboo then. I mean, this is back when like the Catholic Church and maybe they still do. I don't know. But maybe I think the Catholic Church at one time said that was a sin to take birth control was like was a sin. You're like killing babies they yeah i can do to actual abortion right and uh, so you're not supposed to do that in 1972 and and he's like you know maybe one day these will become so popular that we'll have to have marketers and they'll come up and, and he starts riffing all, all these great names i can't remember any of them but they're all yeah you want me to say you want me to say something a belief i have probably sounds pretty controversial um is if you are advocating to people in the developing world that they not use birth control that someone in like, I can't even think of a good example. Actually, Catholic countries aren't quite as poor today as they once were. But when, I, when we were, you know, 70s and 80s, if you're advocating to someone in the developing world that they not practice birth control and that they have 10 kids, you're a murderer. Mm-hmm. 
you're you're causing death and devastation on a scale you know for no reason for no reason that you're culpable for doing that i don't see how you could consider yourself a good person if you're saying that to people <laughs> right well you know? no, i you I see agree. those pictures of like children in the developing world covered right. in flies and stuff, you know, and that's because yeah. you're telling them to have a giant family. Like the, you're, you're culpable yeah. for doing that. I don't know like, if it was all, all the children. I think it was just the children in those commercials. Yeah. Right. But yeah. actually, as I recall, it might've been Ethiopia, right? Wasn't it? Yeah. Those, those really, no, yeah. those During, ones with the, in, in our day in the eighties, it was always Ethiopia. Yeah. Cause they had, I went to, when I was in the middle East, we went to, I stayed with Bedouins and they had a family. They had family members that lived on like, kind of they didn't call it that but it was a reservation right it was where they'd moved everybody out of the national park and stuck them in a reservation the bedouins that had been there mm-hmm. and then these concrete block buildings they all lived in and we went and saw their family like just to visit them and the kids were literally covered in flies and mm-hmm. the dad had like you know 10 12 13 children apiece and so no way to feed them and stuff like that and i was just like this is the worst poverty i've ever seen in my entire life yeah. literally flies landing on people like it was pretty bad <laughs> Not that that has anything to do with Catholics. That's that's more like a different religion telling you you shouldn't. Although you know what, I don't think well, it's the religion. I don't think that was religious. I'm gonna t- I'm gonna walk that back. I believe that was just a deeply felt cultural belief about having yeah, giant I think families. That more, I think that was more of a cultural thing. Like the more kids you have, the more help you have. You know, I actually don't know where Islam, whatever, whatever it happens to be, but I, I don't know where Islam stands on birth control. I'm not gonna opine about that because I don't know the answer. Either, but- so Carlin was talking about, you know, strictly the U.S. culture. That was, he was like 30 years ahead of the curve on, on that one. Uh, for yeah, sure. totally. That's a pretty big surprise to me. I thought that was pretty, uh, pretty prescient. Yeah. Uh, I was impressed. So. Mine, mine was just uh, the revolution or revelation rather that he was, that this was his transition, transitionary uh, album, if you will, uh, going from yeah. state race to counterculture and sure. uh, becoming slowly making that kind of arc and change into the George Carlin that I knew from the nineties and 2000. And, um, you know, before this, he, he could be a stand in for Johnny Carson, you know, clean cut parted hair, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, no beard, narrow tie, all that stuff in the sixties. Yeah. So that was, that was probably the biggest surprise was to see, see this kind of evolution of, of George Carlin and, and be able to see it with these two albums. I think, I think so. He had a bit um, in the second album that really got me because he was talking about having people in your address book that die. I like that. Yeah, that was cool. And I was like, I was like, oh, my God, my cell phone. And yeah. again, this is a this is a revelation about how old I am. My cell phone is getting to be filled with dead people. Like I'm looking in. I right. looked at one time I had four contacts in a row who were dead in my cell phone but you got you got like alphabetically people, you got to tell people the bit so they, you can't just do that oh yeah he's just talking about how uh, when someone dies they get six weeks and then you sort of throw away their address book you know just you, so you, you, cross, you cross out their name you cross out their name you know right right and then you delete there. them then you delete them from your pda or whatever he was talking about 2008 right. um right and you but hear that like, sound yeah yeah right you know. or, or if you if you don't if you feel bad about it then you can just keep them in your trash can for a few weeks right. and then, and then right. the trash, something like that. Then clear out the trash after six weeks. Yeah, pretty talked, solid. But he talked about how empowering it was, right? Like how much power it, it fills you with. It fills you with all this power to be able to cross out yeah. somebody's name after they've died. Or Yeah, maybe when, I, maybe, maybe when I'm in my 70s, there'll be a sense of accomplishment of outliving people. Maybe that, maybe that. Right. right now, it's always just like 
tragic when someone dies it's like you're not supposed to be dead right. we're like 40 like you're, well, you're supposed to still be alive you know it's a trajectory that i mean trajectory that uh aging is going on for us we shouldn't die until the early 80s i think so oh you mean the, yeah okay yeah. so i mean because right now i, I am life you know i'm just 24 so i'm hoping i get 27 okay. more years anything after that is a bonus okay is what I, is what i'm figuring so i'm trying to enjoy my life based on that being the expiration yeah. date anything after that you know fine cool <laughs> spend more time with my grandchildren or whatever it is right. you know that's that's great like well, that's I don't know. For you. Well, so what do you think? Are we toast in this classic? So it's it's it comes down to me, right? Because like we said, that the non-choosing I foisted it on me. I foisted it on me. Yeah. So let's see. I, I didn't love it. I do like George 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 Carlin. I have liked some of his stuff in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I would not like give this album to a friend and be like, oh my God, you gotta listen to this. Yeah. So maybe that should be my deciding factor. I mean, I just, you know, there's just that that bit with the DJ goes on for five or six minutes. There's another <laughs> yeah. bit, the hippie dippy reporter, you know, yeah, which the get the get ga- the gag yeah. is that the reporter talks like a hippie. Right. Oh, it just goes on for a long time. Sure. Honestly, honestly, I found the second album, which is definitely not a classic. I don't even think we're voting on that. It's just an album. Right. Um I I wouldn't. I wouldn't say so. I don't think I'm toasting it as much as as much as I'm inclined while drinking Miller High Life to toast everything and every facet of the human experience, uh, just out of sheer, you know, joie de vivre and happiness. I just don't know if I can do it. <laughs> joie de vivre. Okay. Yeah. Well, I you know what I I am going to agree with you. This is a, an agreement with uh, not toasting this classic. Uh, All right. I love I me mean, again. Well, this happened last time. I feel bad. No, no, no. No, like, reason, no reason. I feel for dirty, like not toasting, no. but I just, you know, it just wasn't that great. Like no I just. Reason to. I mean, I, I love George Carlin. I'm, I'm with you. But if we're looking at this as a standalone classic, right? Right. Right. Standalone. I think, yeah. I think, I think that's a good yardstick. Like would I give this to a friend and say, man, you got to listen to this. I wouldn't do that with this one. Um, or, or, or even just make it part of somebody's education. Would I, would well, I make this part? Well, if I was I mean, trying to like, if you, if you wanted to get a feel for George Carlin then versus now, but why would you do that? Right. Unless you're like studying stand-up comedy or something, but I mean, right. And if for that case, it's really cool. It, it's, it's an interesting, different perspective, but it's kind of like watching a silent movie, you know? Yeah. Like, eh, okay. Yeah. Unless we're talking about, you know, like uh, uh, some of the really old, you know, Frankenstein's monster or some of those really old, right. old silent movies, but you know, so I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think I would, we're not looking at it that way, but I would be more inclined to to look at the later album and say, you know, go watch this album because that's, yeah. that's the one. It was better. I thought it was better. If this yeah. had been the album that has the seven words you can't say on television. Yeah. I yeah. probably would have toasted that. that came because later. that's a, yeah. that's, that's later. later. That's right. a classic bit. That's yeah. an influential bit. That right. is a bit that is so influential. There's a Supreme Court case about yeah. that bit. Based on it. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that would be more likely to get my toast. Right. So some of George Carlin's material, sort of like we did with um, Mel Brooks, mm-hmm. we sort of were toasting early Mel Brooks and Mel Brooks in general. And I would toast George Carlin in that sense. This yeah. particular album didn't do it for me. Same here. So um, all right, maybe I'm maybe I'm kind of leaning towards toasting George Carlin, um, but not necessarily. I would toast this particular. I material. would toast George Carlin, not this particular album. And I encourage everybody to go uh, listen to some of his later stuff, uh, for sure. It's fun. It's still funny stuff, and he's 
irreverent and uh, has some great insight in, into various things. But well, let's. Uh, what are we? What are we doing? What are we talking about next, Mister? Uh... Oh, our next. Our next thing is going to be a book. Uh, it was my choice for a book. I've been thinking we should do some science fiction, so I went with the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you which is a book I've read several times. Fiction. I, I'm so surprised. Science fiction. Wow. Really. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It's not really like a huge thing of mine, but I thought it'd be fun to do some classic sci-fi. So, um, and it's a funny one. It's a funny one. Uh, It's it's good. Uh, Anybody that's listening can go grab uh, the book and read it in about an hour and a half, two hours. It's very, it's a a breezy read. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what we're going to be doing next time. It's going to be difficult for me to tell everybody about the drink because it's going to be my own concoction. Okay. Um, but uh, we will try to get, I will try to get something into the outro to help people prepare Very for cool. the drink. Very good. Um, so I think that's it. I think that's it for Toast in the Classics for today. I'm going to clink together my empties as my toast, George Carlin. Um, or I've got an empty bottle of uh, Miller High Life and a full one. So it'll make kind of a awesome. sound. All right. There right. you go. Well, thank you, that's everybody, for toast. joining us. And uh, thank you, Dave, for putting up with my grading. Right. I'll go uh, flunk some people now. Yeah. yeah. Bye, everybody. And uh, Peace out. All right. See you next time. That's it for Episode 9 of Toasting the Classics. For those playing along at home, next week is going to be tricky. We read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and of course, we took a shot at creating the pan-galactic gargle blaster with local-sourced earthling ingredients. My recipe calls for, I'll wait while you write this down, one shot vodka, one shot Pernod, one shot of Southern Comfort, one shot of creme de menthe, a dash of lime juice, and a top-up of lemonade. Phew! Do your best, or just look up one of the many recipes available online. If you'd like to get in touch, email us at toastingtheclassics at gmail.com. Send us show or drink ideas, comments, complaints, whatever. Check out my blog at theattractivenuisance.com and follow us on Twitter at @attractivenuisance. Our music was written by Michelle MacArthur. See you next time on Toasting the Classics. Toasting the Classics.